Hello, welcome to the Capital Employed Podcast. Joining me in conversation for this episode was Chris Boxall from Fundamental Asset Management and Investors Champion. Chris is an expert in investing on London's AIM Stock Exchange. In this episode, Chris gives an overview of his investment service and why he thinks the AIM Stock Exchange is a great place to invest. He also talks about two high-quality stocks he feels have great long-term potential. Full disclosure, one of the shares we talk about is Dot Digital Group, which I own shares in. I really enjoyed listening to him and I certainly think you will too. So without further interruption from me, please enjoy my conversation with Chris. Okay, hi Chris. Um, thanks for coming on to the um, podcast. Hi John, thanks for having me. It's great, great to talk to you. For listeners who may not be familiar, who and what is Fundamental Asset Management? We're a, a small specialist investment manager. We started off in 2004. My business partner and I, a gentleman called Stephen Drabwell, we started the firm then. We, previous to that, we worked for a U.S. fund management group. We ran a U.S. fund management group and we had a very successful U.S. Um, sort of small cap focused long short fund that did very well. But um, we wanted to set up our own firm and, and Fundamental came about in 2004, as I say, with the support of one of our clients, a large offshore trust group, and they provided some seed capital and that, that's how we, we, we kicked off. Am I right in saying you're, you just specialise in shares on that AIM market? That's our main focus. What we realised when we first started Fundamental, we wanted to run a, a UK-focused small-cap fund. And that's what we, we started. But we were also managing general money for, um, for general long-only money in, in blue chips. So we were occupying these two ends, very large cap. And, and small cap, and we it became evident that a lot of our focus was in AIM because that's where the more interesting smaller quoted companies on the UK market were. And as it was growing in AIM, we we, we could see this this demand for tax focused products, notably those for you know with an inheritance tax planning uh, interest. Soon, sooner or later, we discovered it was it was quite easy actually, well, a lot easier to raise raise new money. In, in a tax-driven products, in an AIM tax-driven product, than than in our in our small cap fund. So now we manage exclusively across segregated accounts. We don't have any fund per se, any either closed end or open ended. So we we've got rid of all the, the the fund structures, and all our client money is managed in segregated segregated accounts, individual accounts. We're either directly through our own links brokerage we, we have a what's called a model b brokerage arrangement or via platforms so lots of ifa advisor platforms advisors recommend their clients to us and we manage money on a segregated account through these very various platforms and it's it's working working very well and thankfully our, our performance has been very good are these segregated accounts are they quite concentrated in how many stocks you have for each account, or does it vary depending on um, your client? In terms of, I think we should focus on AIM. So, ninety percent of our book is now AIM related, and specifically AIM related for inheritance tax planning purposes. With regard to those accounts, it, it very much depends on size. So, typically, typically smaller accounts, uh, fifty to hundred thousand size, will typically have twenty twenty five positions on them. Larger accounts, a million plus, 
would have would have a more circa 30 odd positions we, we feel we're adequately diversified however in terms of a fund really that's very focused i mean if if you compare that to a fund you know a fund of having only 30 positions uh would be incredibly focused some of them are running 25 we feel that's ample I think the world, the investing world, is going towards over-diversification and, and therefore real mediocrity in terms of performance. And it's no accident that the better performing funds have been the more concentrated funds. But e- even in AIM, we feel 25, 30 positions are, are absolutely fine. And, and we're comfortable with that. We, we, I cannot fathom. I looked at, looked at a closed-ended investment trust yesterday. And it's had a lot of technology focus. It's got 300 plus positions, like 320 odd positions. I mean, I just I just don't get that. It means you can sort of dabble and chuck a bit of everything. I, I suppose every manager has has their different technique. But for that kind of model, you need a, clearly a big team to, to follow everything. Or if you've got a smaller team, you're just going to have a, a few that are going to fall by the wayside. We really like AIM. Uh, in, in from from a UK market perspective, because it is the the market for growth companies in the UK. That the FTSE 100, you just have to look at the returns. Uh, the returns have been dire, really, uh, especially you know excluding dividend income, and the dividend has been the main driver for the FTSE 100. You look at the returns over the past one, three, five, ten, or you know go as far back as you like. Almost, it's been quite diabolical. And there's been an inherent lack of growth in a lot of companies and clearly very little new economy technology exposure. AIM is, is the opposite. I mean, AIM has gone through a massive change, but it is a market for growth and it has some very uh, attractive, small growing companies, many of which are trading at far more sort of modest valuations than their US peers, or, or, although I think it's worth, worth qualifying that. So AIM has these attractions, but the other attraction I think people miss out on, and I think this is really important, and it's why our, our business has sort of done all right as well, is, is this tax planning driver. If markets are, are sort of a bit wobbly, if you're a small cap on the main market, there is no driver you know, inherited to buy. Whereas on AIM, there's a constant flow of buyers because of the inheritance tax planning attractions of 72% of that market. You know, there are buyers coming all the time, all the time. These aren't necessarily through the big fund groups. These are just private investors or, or other IHT planning, inheritance tax planning managers like, like us, who are regular buyers of, of, of interesting share. So that you've got this, this reason to buy on a market, I think is very, very powerful and something that people don't realize. Clearly, this is largely of interest to a certain category of company, probably and not the very small AIM companies. But it's an interesting dynamic of AIM. This, this reason to buy is very different to, to other markets because of the, the, the tax break. Am I writing saying there's around 1,000 stocks listed on AIM? Now we're actually down to just over 800. So at the end of 2020, we had about just over 800 stocks. AIM hit its peak uh, we kicked off in 2004. AIM hit its peak then in 2007. There were about 1,700 companies. You had a lot of resource stocks. You had a lot of international businesses um, that wanted to list. Quite frankly, a lot of rubbish. I mean, it was quite hard to you know, sort out the, the good and the bad at one point because there, <laughs> there was an awful lot of bad. 
we learned pretty quickly. So you've come from this peak of 1700 down to just over 800. And there have been net declines over the last few years. Last year was a terrible year for new issues. I think there are only 32 new arrivals on AIM and slightly more, more levers. So you, it's been declining all the time, but the quality has been improving. I, I really think, and we're, we're very hopeful, given that the IPO bonanza that we've seen in the States uh, the last quarter, I'm hopeful that we're going to see a lot more IPOs on AIM this year. Because, it, look, it really it's a market that needs sort of a, a fresh batch of companies coming up. But the right, the right kind of companies, you can see the quality now, eight, just over 800 plus the overall market value is about 134 billion. Uh, I mean, that's pretty good. And you've got, you had at the end of last year, 24, I think, AIM companies valued at over a billion. The two largest AIM companies, ASOS and Boohoo, would gain entry into the FTSE 100. They're that big. Probably the top 20, 25 would gain entry into the FTSE 250. So you've got some pretty big ones. But then you've got this very long tail. You know, the market cap, that 134 billion, is dominated by the very largest groups. I think it's worth focusing on then on those two, the two largest, especially in the current climate, because you can see how they represent the key difference really to the main market. Boohoo's acquisition recently of previous sort of retail brands, ASOS's acquisition of the top shop brands as well. This changing of the guard to, to online retail and online retail is, you know, with a few exceptions, you have clearly a card on the main market, but online retail is really strong strong on aim and in addition to boohoo and asos you've got some other nice players like gear for music the musical instrument online retail is a nice little business as well and and that's really really sort of shown up now with these recent transactions that asos and boohoo have done both very exciting businesses that we we don't hold i should add so from the 800 um, listed stocks or name, how do you drill down to the 25 you want to invest in? What type of companies do you focus on? In simple terms, we have to start because most of our mandates are inheritance tax planning based. Our first start is pretty simple. We have to determine which companies qualify for inheritance tax planning purposes. And we, with the help of our um, Associated Business Investors Champion, has a guide, and we've determined about 72% of AIM companies qualify for IHT planning purposes. We then go next tier down for us is to determine those that are um, profitable and have been profitable, cash generative, and then we start going through through other other filters. We like to a key determinant for us with the vast majority of their stocks, and there are exceptions, but the vast majority of our stocks is founder ownership, material founder ownership of at least 5%. So founder and management. Founders may maybe sort of move to non-exec roles, but we'd like generally like to see the comfort of founders, which is very important for, for us. And you'll see that 70 plus percent of our portfolio, I think probably more actually, about 80% and meet, meet that criteria. We have to invest in profitable. We're, we're not early stage investors for the most part of our book. So all of our companies have a history of profitability. We'd like also, wherever possible, the lion's share of our book are, are delivering strong operating margins and decent rent. When I say that, we saw 15% plus, 
plus good returns on equity, again, 15. Typically, a lot of them are much higher than that. But e even though these are growing businesses reinvesting, we like the key attributes for, for you know, for at least 75% of our portfolio. There, there are businesses like, you know, many businesses like that on AIM. The issue then becomes pricing. That has become uh, increasingly difficult. But th those are pretty um, simple, clear measures. You don't see us holding resources, pure resources stocks. You don't see us holding pure pharma and biotech early. Typically, they're early stage and, and not revenue. Many of them aren't revenue generating. We don't hold any banks. There aren't many banks on AIM. And we don't hold any real estate companies as well so because they, they wouldn't typically qualify. The other, the other area, unfortunately, we're forced to avoid are companies that have got dual listings. This came up recently. We've held Abcam in our portfolios for many years. Abcam is, a, Abcam is an antibody business, one of AIM's larger companies. And it recently secured a dual listing on the NASDAQ very quickly. It sort of did it without much notice or fanfare. Unfortunately, we were forced to sell that stock because conceivably it wouldn't qualify for inheritance tax planning purposes. It has the dual listing. We prefer to get out. If we were at all doubtful about IHT qualifying status, and remember that's the first filter, we will get out. Um, so we were, yeah, we had to we had to sell that. So that that excludes some, some quite interesting businesses. Can you talk us through two companies in your portfolio that you feel have great long term potential? What, one of the filters I'd say is understanding the company a sort of common sense approach. We And the two companies that I'm going to mention are probably businesses that found easy to understand, or a lot easier to understand than others. Uh, and it's for that reason that we don't invest in certain stocks, because however sort of interesting the numbers look, if we can't understand them, we'll get out. And there, there are lots of sort of technology and software companies. I haven't got a clue what they're doing. If we don't understand how it's going to go wrong, we're not necessarily going to invest in it. It would be a bad decision to invest. So these two businesses, ones I'm going to talk about, and one of them is Gamma Communications, and the other one is Dot Digital. Gamma Communications, they're both pretty big aim companies. Gamma's got a market cap of about one and a half billion, listed in about 2014, and it's been a big success. Gamma Communications provides unified communications you know, as a service. It started off doing that in the UK, and it's now starting to expand into Europe. So going back to that thesis and, and that trigger, it's quite easy to understand Gamma. You're at this stage where legacy telephones and communication systems for businesses are being changed. We're moving from old analog, we're moving from old switchboard style, and this has clearly been happening for many years already, but there's still a long way to go, and you're going to cloud-based. Um, internet protocol systems and Gamma uh, supports this. It's invested a lot in its own network and it has a very interesting route to market. It works through what's called other well, channel partners, other, other service providers. Our driver was through our own IT service company, our customers of Gamma. We use their system and we, we invested before we were using their system but it became blindingly obvious to us 
as a user of their system, talking to our uh, IT service uh, providers, that the growth profile of this business, we could see this, you know, a very interesting business model, which was reflected in the numbers. I mean, Gamma generates very attractive operating margins for, for a business like, like it. It is fifteen uh, percent plus nice twenty five percent return capital on employees, so it ticks all the highly profitable, maintained a cash buffer. It doesn't. It isn't got big insider founder ownership anymore. It's management that brought it onto the market has now stepped down. They're not big holders, which so that it doesn't tick that box for us. However, it's still got a very nice share register. Importantly, it's now growing through all its own internally generated cash flow. And this is something we really love as well. We hate business constantly coming back to the market, you know, to raise more capital to to support these so-called buy and builds. Gamma is growing through its own internally generated cash flow, which is really, really strong. And, you know, it sits at year end now with circa 50 million plus cash, which is using to expand, not, not only invest in its technology, but also expand overseas as well. So while it is buying, it's not purely organic growth. This, these acquisitions are funded internally. I mean, Gamma came to market so at one pound eighty-seven in twenty fourteen. Just looking now, we're at uh, sixteen pounds thirty-five. It's grown. Revenues have grown from one hundred and forty-eight million to what are they going to be this year? They're going to be close to probably four hundred million. It's it's doing all all the right all the right things. Uh, which is um, you know re- really really important to us. If if things do go wrong, we can also you know, talk to the talk to the coal face, talk to our you know IT service people, and say say look you know what what do you think of it? What do you think of what's what's happening with this business? So re- really clear and, and exciting. We think it's got a long way to go. Even at circa one point five billion market cap, the opportunity is still huge, and we understand, for example. In Europe, things are, are less developed than on mainland Europe than they are in the UK, and therefore the you know the growth profile could be could be very interesting. Over the pandemic as well, you know re- we are really impressed. It didn't take any government support, UK government support, didn't furlough anybody. It really stepped up to the plate. We, we you know it, very impressive uh, reaction to everything. So. Hopefully, onwards and upwards was Gamma. I would have actually expected its shares to perform even better, given all the remote work, remote working that's going on and Gamma's key position in that space. I'd almost expected the shares to have reacted even more positively. Look, it's not cheap either. You're having to pay 30 plus on if you're worried about the dreaded P ratio kind of measure. You're going to have to pay 30 plus historic um, earnings on this, just under you know 29 times forecast. So not cheap on those measure, but a really nice business that we would you know, recommend people have a look at. How about Dot Digital? This is a share that I've held for quite a while now. I'm, I'm a huge fan of it. I think it's fantastic. Talk us through your thesis for Dot Digital. We're big fans as well. You've done very well then, John, holding that for a while. Well done. Um, you may have held it a little bit longer than us. Yeah, we've held it for a while as well. We were a bit nervous at one point. Dot, dot Digital. Its its main product now is called Engagement Cloud. Many people may know it from the past for something called Dot Mailer, where its core product was and, and remains an email marketing tool. We've been big fans. You know, our firm has been a big user of Mailchimp 
uh, which is a, a lower end sort of competitor, much bigger US private business. And again, it was blindingly obvious to us the, the beauty of this product and this this service. So emailing emailing systems as a service for small businesses and larger businesses as well is a very attractive business model. You've got loads and loads of customers, large and small. You're billing them regularly, large and small amounts every month. And those customers, if you do a good job for them, uh, are not going to move. You know, you've got a very receptive customer that's also going to be open to enhancements. So they're going to like more and more of your services and what you're doing for them. As long as you don't mess up, very much like Gamma as well that we mentioned before, don't mess up. You've got incredibly sticky customer base that's going to you know, be happy to stay with you. And Dot Digital's model like, is like that. It made a, a, an acquisition a few years ago, which enabled it to add more features to its core email system. So it's now it's got, you know, texting, it's got live chat messaging. It's, it's got lots of lots of enhancements. And you can see on the, on the results that are coming through now, the revenue per client is going up all the time. It's offering by offering these added value services. Again, like uh, Gamma Communications, it has an interesting route to market. A lot of online businesses get killed with the marketing cost. Quite, you know, despite the the cost saving of many digital businesses, they're also high. The routes to market can be very, very expensive. Gamma uses channel partners. Dot Digital as well uses what's called connectors. And similarly, they are channel partners. These are, could be providers of software for, for, for online shopping. For example, one of its channel partners is Gento, which is owned by Adobe now. Another channel partner is um, Shopify, I think, which they've been doing well. So these effectively become almost the sellers of Dot Digital's product of, of its in new engagement cloud solution. Dot Digital arrived you know, on AIM from Plus Markets in 2011. It had a pretty, pretty small at the, the, the time, I think 20 odd million, something like that. It's now a 530 million pound business. That looks pretty punchy for <laughs> in isolation for a business that had revenues of you know, 47 million last year and made 12 million operating income. It, it ticks all the obvious you know, financial boxes, you know, great operating margins, nice return on equity, what we thought was really important about Dot Digital and made us far more comfortable was, was when they accelerated, started accelerating their investment a few years ago. They moved into the US, and initially that was a real struggle. And uh, I, I think they had a few missteps, but then they've, they've beefed up the team there now. They seem to have the right people. They've got a good team in Asia Pacific as well, but they've also upped their investment in, the, in their platform and technology and marketing as well, which I think is very important. And I, and I think it's a, a big mistake often of businesses, listed businesses, that they, they're reluctant to this. They cushion earnings a lot of the time. And I think it's very bad for a business, businesses like Gamma and Dot Digital because it's a, it's a simple measure. Really. Grow those customers. They'll stay with you. If you turn over, off the marketing tap, the cash flow just pours to the bottom. And I think Dot Digital now, I think, has really started to recognize that. So it's made a, a greater effort to invest. 
and not worry so much about short-term earnings. It's still tiny. This is a vast market, 40, 50, whatever million of revenue, 60 even. It could be multiples this size, given the market opportunity. The negative are people being turned off emailing and emails. Fewer of them are actually open nowadays. And that's also almost a benefit to dot digital system. Its focus is to try and achieve better open rates and slicker marketing for, for its customers. The, the rating looks very, very high now, trading at sort of 40 plus times forecast. You're seeing that on the basis of a company that's really putting a lot into investing. Those earnings could pop up massively if they didn't, if they weren't investing as much as they, as much as they have been. And, and we would encourage them to keep them in, not worry about earnings, just keep driving, driving that top line. Quite frankly, no, I mean, the markets come round to the uh, ridiculous nature, nature of the P ratio anyway as a measure. It's noticeable both these businesses, Gamma and Dot Digital, are pretty prudent. They issue pretty prudent accounts. So you don't see the huge adjustments that you see with many others. And the earnings you get are real. I mean, some of these other earnings that are thrown out by, especially from the buy and build brigade, are just, we call them fairy tale sort of accounting. I mean, there are so many adjustments that they're, that they're meaningless. So both, both these companies we think are pretty, pretty clean and we think they still have big growth opportunity. There is some founder sort of ownerships on the share register. The CEO is former finance officer. I have a soft spot for, for accountants moving into the top spot because I'm, I'm an accountant by my background. Why I still have faith in holding dot digital despite the high valuation is the potential growth runway still in front of it. I read a report that even in America pre the COVID outbreak, only about 20% of people were reg regular buyers online in e-commerce. That alone kind of gives a hint that there's still a big growth to come. And I've also noticed they're expanding in Southeast Asia as well, which is, you know, like the ASEAN region. It's home to around 600 million people, only about 10 to 20% here. It's quite a small, you know, regularly shop online. So there does seem to be a big runway in front of it. Well, I, th I think you're right. I mean, I'm particularly excited about their the Asia Pacific sort of focus as well. Uh, and that grew really strongly. And as I said, the, the numbers are currently, it's positioning in such a huge market. And the benefits of its route to market through through its connectors and partners it is re really exciting. I was a bit worried actually when um, uh, Adobe took over a Magenta, and I think Dot Digital as well. But it, it seems to have worked out okay up to now. And you know, Magento isn't the only game in town. As I say, it's now linked up with Shopify and other online. And Shopify has clearly been flying over the last few months. You know, I think you're right. I, I think it's hopefully. Got a lot, lot, long, long way to go. Are you a keen reader? And if so, uh, what books have you been currently reading? I've read a lot of it, clearly investment books in my time, and I think I've done that one. Got the T-shirt. I like, I like reading about business people as well and, and the characters. I've just read the, the Innovators by Walter Isaacson, which is about the, the digital revolution, which is quite interesting. You know, quite interesting. A bit too technical in places for me, but a, a good read and. You know, it goes right through the history, several centuries back through the Intels and Apple growth and Microsoft and World Wide Web. And, yeah, it's a it's a it's a good read. I, I enjoyed that. Other other business books I read, it, I, again, mostly about the, 
the characters, the often founders who have done done really really well. Uh, Shoe Dog was good. I read that about Nike. He was an accountant, so <laughs> I was quite happy with that one. Yeah, so uh, I, I, I like I like those. So Innovators, Walter Isaacson, a good read, especially in the current time where the digital revolution seems to be all consuming if listeners want to know more about um your services and about yourself where, where can they go to find more information for fundamental go to fundamentalasset.com uh you can see information there Th- those that um really interested in aim have a look at investorschampion.com There's loads and loads of it a lot of it's free uh we write a lot of notes on aim companies good bad pretty forthright there's a lot of commentary when we don't like things happening, such as big insider selling, directors ripping off shareholders. So, yeah, investorschampion.com is a is a good read if, for those people, particularly you know if you if you like aim companies. Okay, that's brilliant. Uh, th- thanks so much, Chris, for coming on. I, I could easily uh, listen to you talk for hours about aim stocks, but we're running over time now. Yeah, no, it's been good, good fun. <laughs>